Welcome to the Washington Union Alliance Church Podcast, an archive of our recorded sermons. We're a Christian and Missionary Alliance Church located in Newcastle, Pennsylvania. For more information, go to wuac.org. An old man takes a worn hardcover book off the shelf and he handles the volume gently, careful not to disturb the fragile binding while returning to his favorite chair, glasses perched on his nose. And as he slowly turns the yellowed pages, his eyes rest on his grandchildren who lean in with anticipation. Behind them crackles a fire in the hearth. And it's grandpa's house, and it's officially, officially time to enter into the Christmas season. Let me tell you a story. They know the story, but they want to hear it again. And so it begins a December ritual, the reading of the Christmas story, a story that they want to read again. And that kind of recalls my roots at my grandfather's house, a story where we would read the Christmas story and hear about the angels. We'd hear about a young Jewish teenager, a bewildered fiancé, more angels, wise men, a wicked Herod, the shepherds keeping watch, the innkeeper with no room, prophets and princes, paupers and philosophers, wise men and wanderers. Does that rekindle any memories for you? And I know for many, this season brings about different memories for different people. For some, the many, the music and the parties communicate a profound melancholy, and Christmas, for some, is like Andy Williams, the most wonderful time of the year, or like Merrill Haggard, you're trying to make it through December, or maybe somewhere in between. You see, this season offers us the chance to offer the one whose amazing life gave birth to this season both our joys and our sorrows, our happiness and our Heaviness. And despite the culture's way of presenting Christmas in a plastic and consumer-driven manner, may God do abundantly more than he could ever ask or imagine through the living God through this Christmas season and through this Advent season. May he do that in our church. You see, Advent's the time of the year where the time before Christmas where the church recognizes, actually that word in Latin means arrival. And so Advent meaning arrival and the church recognizes Jesus' birth. And so the birth of Jesus took quite a long time in Israel's history and the history of the world. And it took a long time for Jesus to come. And so we kind of take this time, this time before Christmas to prepare our hearts for the coming of Jesus. And God does something when we wait. And he does something to prepare us in the waiting. And so I'm praying that this might be that for us as a church and for you. And maybe for you, this is the 112th time you have read the Christmas story. And maybe, you have, you, maybe you're a little bit tired of it, or maybe it's grown a little bit old to you. But embedded in this story of birth and angels and messages and stars and kings and kings and innkeepers is a word of peace that is found in the lines of the Christmas story. And if God is worth believing and following and supernatural things have to happen, and it happens in the Christmas story, and God just wouldn't be God because of it. So my, my prayer today, my prayer through this story is that we read the story and reminded of just how good this story really is. And then the message of Jesus might stir deeply within our hearts as well. And if you don't have a home church, I pray that you would find a church that preaches and teaches the scriptures 
faithfully, and I pray that you would find one that does so, um, that does that. You can have 724 of the Bible in front of you if you'd like to follow along. Uh, we're in Luke 2. We can place a placeholder there. We'll get there in just a minute, um, and it'll be on the screen behind me as well if you'd like to follow along. But we are in a series called The Faces of Christmas, looking at the various people who made up the Christmas story, uh, because they are real people with real stories and real faces of people who helped shape the birth of Jesus. God does not do accidents when piecing together by his story, and he does so by looking at real people who helped shape the birth of Jesus and help make up the Christmas story. So I pray that the we look at the faces that make up the Christmas story, that it might begin to shape you and your experience and your life, and that you may be able to find the Lord in a very new way. And so maybe for you, you're asking the why question, the why question. Why is that person in the story? And it's why? Why is that person there? Why is... Why is this person in this story? And you see, God specializes in those why details. I'm praying that those that we look at all of the people in the Christmas story, that there is a reason for it. And God does this for reasons. So why shepherds? Why shepherds? Why does God put shepherds in the story? Why does God put the story of the message? Why does God place shepherds as the ones who would herald the Christmas story and the, and the story of Jesus? So why are the shepherds in there? And last week, we looked at the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, two people who had prayed their whole life for a child and were told that they prayed and despite a lifetime of disappointment, they played their lives out to please the Lord. Two faces of what tells us, what the Bible tells us, of what faithfulness to God looks like when the world says no. And when the lifetime of disappointment comes on, they refuse to believe in their disappointments and they refuse to listen to the noise of the world reminding them every single day that they just aren't worthy enough. And the whispers of Elizabeth, who had remained childless her whole life, the whispers of the culture and the people in that day to remain childless and the whispers of that, you know, it's just kind of like the, even the family heir would have to come through a male, through a child. And so she's childless. And so this would have meant a deep sense of loss, a lifetime of disappointments for Zachariah and Elizabeth, a lifetime of no's, a lifetime of unanswered questions, yet they remain true to an audience of one. And no complaining as to why God hadn't done that sooner, just faithfulness to God. And no frustration came out of her mouth either. And it's a challenging story, an encouraging story. Just a deep sense of thankfulness and gratitude to God came out of Zachariah and Elizabeth. And so the big idea last week was that joy does not come from looking at external circumstances. It comes from an abiding relationship with an all-sufficient Savior, and that is Jesus. And the story of Elizabeth and Zachariah remind us and remind me that it is not over for you. God is crazy about you. What might this Advent and Christmas season look like to live into the fullness of joy of those two despite our disappointments in life? What would it look like to live into the fullness of joy that God provides? What would it might it look like if that fullness of joy impacted our families, the worlds in which we live, the living rooms in which we live and sit into? What might it look like to live into the fullness of joy knowing that God is for us and God absolutely loves us and loves you. You see, all for all of the world to read forever in his word, God forever included the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth 
folks who prayed ordinary prayers like you and I have prayed, folks who have had sleepless nights like you and I have experienced moments of heartache that God breathes life-affirming words into both of them. We may never fully understand why the why things happen and the way things happen, but we can live into the promises of who God says we are despite the world's unfortunate labels that are placed upon us. We can live into that joy and we can live into the Advent season because of that. And I just ended the message with, what might it look like for our church to wrap arms around folks who have experienced disappointment and heartache this season? What might it look like to walk with people in a very difficult spot this year? What would it look like to speak life-giving words of hope to those who have a diminished sense of hope and meaning in a cruel and disappointing world? What might it look like for us to affirm others and remind others regarding God's view of us rather than how the world might unfairly view us as well. If you have your Bible, we're going to go to Luke chapter 2, Luke 2, and starting in verse 1, and uh, it's in the Bible in front of you and on the screen behind me. It says this, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So the whole, the whole plot gets set in motion because of a census that happens in this time. So, so Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. According to maps, this would have been quite a trip to get to this point. And he went there and this is because if you're going to your father, in those days you would go to the land of your father's household. And so this is, they follow Joseph back here. And so he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were who? Shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the what? Glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were what? Terrified. Can you imagine that, being on the night shift, and all of a sudden there's like the heavenly host comes and barrels out of the sky? The angel said to them, do not be what? Afraid, I bring you what? Good news that will cause great joy for all the people. And today in the town of David, a what? Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, what? Peace to those on whom his favor rests. And the angels had left them and gone into heaven. The what? Shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had what? Heard and seen and, and which were just as they had been told. 
about every time this year. I don't know if you've kind of noticed this, maybe. I don't know if you've noticed this like me, but at, around this time of year, marking the end of the year, there's like various news outlets. They'll do like a year in review regarding all those maybe who have passed away of some sort of type of notoriety. And so sometimes they'll do like a big rundown of events that happened throughout the year. And sometimes we do that, highlighting kind of various portions and like events that kind of transpired in the past year. And sometimes we do that in our own personal life. We look back on various memories that happened this past year and the occurrences that happened in the previous year. On one cool night in Bethlehem, a story was unfolding that would not only be the most significant event for that year for those who lived in Israel, it would be the most significant event in the history of the world. And that is not hyperbole. That, well, this was a story of a very, very long anticipated story of God's people that a promised Messiah would come. A very long period of history and waiting for God's people. And much like breaking news these days, which happens at a 24-7, 365, minute-by-minute cycle, the greatest announcement ever told got rolled out by the very best journalists of the day. Signal the highest levels of security in motorcades and schedule a news conference trending on social media and television. That is not how the news broke that day. Of course, we know culturally that would, the journalists, and you, you get the point. But anyway, that's not how the news broke that day. It first came to a group of shepherds on a hillside working the night shift. In those days, shepherds had an interesting reputation. They, their flocks were outside of the city gates, away from the hustle and bustle. Many people didn't trust shepherds in that day. And they were folks rough around the edges. They, the work of the shepherd was extremely difficult. They had to ensure their flocks were well-fed. They had to fend off potential predators, wolves, or even larger animals like bears and lions. And sometimes unsavory characters would come and try to steal the sheep. This is why shepherds would often work the night shift to fend off potential predators. Notice what the angel says to them. The angel says, do not be what? Afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great what? Joy for all the people. You see, Luke is a very skilled and careful writer at this point. He's noticed the, notice the shepherds are terrified. Did you notice that? The shepherds are terrified, and the first four words are, do not be afraid. And he's getting all, Luke's a skillful writer at this point, he's a doctor by trade, but he is getting all the eyewitnesses that he possibly can from people who have seen this firsthand. And as a doctor, he chooses his words very carefully. The good news in that day in the land of the Bible would have been understood from coming from Caesar's mouth. And in fact, it was Caesar Augustus of that day, Caesar Augustus, who hailed himself as the political savior of the day. It was him who was heralded as the mighty political warrior of the day who brought good news to the empire. In fact, it was customary for the Roman Empire for poets and orators to declare peace and prosperity at the birth as the one who became the emperor. So the long-anticipated Messiah, the one who predicted thousands of years prior to all of this, that the God's good news first comes to shepherds. And if you're going to usher in the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, you would think that this would come very differently than this group of people. You see, shepherds in that day, bad reputation. Shepherding was unglorious. It was dirty and messy and hard work. No city lights. You lived in fear being out alone. You were born a, you were born a shepherd. If you were born a shepherd, you died a shepherd. 
There was no social ladder to climb for shepherds. They were a despised class of people, and shepherds were keeping watch, and they were living out in their flocks. They were living out there. They lived with their sheep. They were smelly. (laughs) They were outsiders of the culture. Normally, good news would come to the elites. Good news would come to those maybe second in command or so. Maybe the president perhaps is briefed on some very important news and you'll probably find the president then fire up a news conference after that. And the next, the vice president or then it kind of keeps going on down in command. And yet an angel and the glory of God appear to surround unnamed shepherds during a graveyard shift in the middle of a field. The angels come to announce announce a major change, and there's a major announcement of the day. And Kenneth Bailey is a scholar from uh, the Middle East, and he says that the the shepherds were the lowest of lows of the social ladder, some of the most despised people of society, because they were perpetually unclean. And so they often looked out, and they often wondered, is anybody out there? The shepherds are our story. Who's not lived in the grip of fear of what the dark night of the future holds? Who's not lived through the endless nights, going to bed, hitting the sack, thinking about where can I find hope? Who's not walked through dark valleys and it's like one thing after another asking yourself, will this ever end? Fear grips us, controls us, drives us oftentimes. And fear entered the story at the very beginning in Genesis 3. Genesis 3, verse 8, right at the beginning. Right at the beginning, it says this, then man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was what? Afraid because I was naked, so I hid. You see, heaven's best choir And the greatest news ever told is told to shepherds. First dibs on the announcement, the guys on the edges of town working the night shift. And as one author says it, the best news came to nobodies. God sent Jesus streaking and blazing to earth, not to the guys at the Ritz-Carlton or in Caesar's banquet hall, but to the guys who smelled like the animals they were taking care of. The whole announcement comes barreling in with the Caesar Augustus. Did you notice the very first verse? Caesar Augustus having reigns over the entire region. He was the great nephew of Julius Caesar. He was a born fighter who, was the, who had clawed his way to power by defeating Antony and Cleopatra. And it's actually his title Augustus means holy or revered. And in fact, such a title named Augustus would have taken the approval of the Senate of that day for him to capture that title. Many saw him as a godlike figure, and many people in that day had some Greek cities adopt his birthday as the new year, hailing him as the Savior, and the inscription is there actually on a stone to this very day. You see, Caesar was relentless. No part of his rule or no part of his tribute would be untouched, including a tiny village carpenter and a teenage expectant bride forced to go home to pay their taxes. Little, nothing would be untouched in Caesar's reign, including this couple. Little did this ruler know that his plans would set in motion the birth of a king who, unlike Caesar, would have a reign that would never end. The real king of the world lie within the womb of a young teenager who was under the whispers of her community. 
In 1 Corinthians, it tells us this, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring nothing to things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of of God. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And we find that all across that line the pages of the Christmas story. So what happens with the shepherds? What about these guys? What happens with them? What happens to the story with Jesus? Well, the shepherds. You see, the shepherds believe and they are in awe. And just to reflect, just as I reflected upon this story, the shepherds believe and are in awe. And do you? Do me? Do we believe? Are we in awe? They simply believe in the words that the angel told them and then the heavenly host. They believe it. Let's not diminish that moment for a second for them. I imagine for this moment an eye of skepticism of this moment. They, but they take the word and they go. Can you imagine working the night shift and all of a sudden you've got the heavenly host come appear to you? I imagine a bit of like uneasiness about this and yet they take the word and they go. They don't, that's not the scribes of the day or the royals or the Romans, but humble outsiders who had the simple faith to look up and listen and put their faith in God. They had a sense of wonder and awe. And do you? You see, the world of the first century was very apathetic, very cynical, uh, very apathetic. And the promise of Israel's Messiah seemed like a very nice pipe dream to many false prophets who had come and gone. And now, in the distance of this town, wave the Roman flag. And yet, among the outskirts of a town called Bethlehem, one of those towns you'd probably fly over or pass by, look at a map, and you'd say, I'd probably drive through that town and then go on to my next destination. One of those kind of towns wouldn't vacation. Nobody had vacation there, nothing. And Luke tells us they were terrified. I don't blame them for being terrified. The lowly shepherds in a backwater town in a ravaged land, and all of a sudden the angels start singing. There's much to say about people who are willing to be awed by the Lord's presence. It's so easy to get caught up in the ho humbug of the Christmas tradition, but might we be awed by what the spirit of Christmas is all about? And that is Jesus and being awed by his presence. You see, God visits fearful people with wonder and awe. Can I say that again? God visits fearful people with wonder and awe. Can I get an amen? We have all sat or are sitting in this position now. Fear grips us. And God visits those people with wonder and awe. Let me make no mistake it. It's in the scriptures. The shepherds were terrified. Terrified. And he visits them with wonder and awe. Meets them in the middle of an ordinary night on the outskirts of town. In Proverbs 9.10 it says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Might we have a sense of awe and wonder of God this year? God visits those who are under fear and have a sense of wonder. Might we stop to see what God is doing all around us? Have we sufficiently put the digital distractions away that keep our minds moving but distract us from the supernatural? 
There is an eye of skepticism to the supernatural. There always has been, but there always will be. But have we, have you and I, put that away? And is that distracting us from what God can do? A sense of awe and wonder in this Advent season in our midst. Are we willing to be awed by an awesome and powerful God? Willing for the King of Kings to change your heart this year? Your heart and mine. Are we willing? Can we have a heart open and willing to change? And humbly putting our lives at Jesus' feet and fears and circumstances at the feet of Jesus. And as I've reflected on this as well, the shepherds also, they, did, they also lived with purpose. Did you notice verse 16? They hurried off. They hurried off. They hurried off. And one translation says they made haste. They made haste. They couldn't help but keep the message to themselves. So important that they abandoned the sheep and found the Messiah. They abandoned their sheep, abandoned their livelihood, and then they, boom, they left, and then they found the Messiah. First ones to touch the Lamb of God, the very people who smelled like lambs. (laughs) The world's first missionaries, the guys who couldn't be trusted in a court of law. Might that also say to the people that we don't particularly like either? The very people that really not a lot of people liked were the ones who were missionaries. Does that say something about our enemies? We might be afraid of our enemies because sometimes we're afraid that they also carry the presence of God too. The guys who had an interesting reputation... They saw, they heard, and they hurried off. They went forth, the first messengers. Do you? Do me? The author says it this way. The shepherds were perhaps camped about a mile from the inn. They certainly took off running, leaping the low Judean fences and entering the enclosure wide-eyed, panting. Excuse me. They searched the stalls around the perimeter of the enclosure and quickly found the mother and baby among the animals. Immediately, they began to announce the good news, telling all who would listen about the angels in this wonderful birth. And when they left, they continued glorifying and praising God for all that they had experienced. And he says this, it's not enough to hear about Jesus. It's not enough to peek in the major and to say, oh, how nice, what a lovely scene, it gives me good feelings. The truth is, even if Christ were born in Bethlehem a thousand times, but not within you, you would be eternally lost. The Christ who is born in the world must be born in your heart. Religious sentiment, even at Christmas time, without the living Christ is a yellow brick road to darkness, he says. You see, the Holy Spirit included in this story in the scriptures that we would not miss the point that the real story of the Savior of the world is not Caesar Augustus, nor will it be any great world leader. The Savior of the world is Jesus the Son of God who was veiled and came to earth in Mary's flesh, was born in human flesh, lived in the flesh, died in the flesh, resurrected in that flesh, and now lives in that flesh at the right hand of the Father. The incarnation was real. Christ's type, what Christ's identification was complete. And his understanding and sympathy are real because he had the same kind of body that we have. And that baby, God's son, demands our complete allegiance. He did really come into the world. And because of this, he can really come into your heart. 
Let us lay our lives before him in this world of sin, as that song goes, as in this world of sin where meek souls enter in, receive him still. The dear Christ enters in. The Savior has come. And could it be that God has some saving to do for us yet? God's got some work to do on us to save us. That even if this is the 97th good news sermon from Advent that you have heard, there is more work to be done in salvation. That God keeps on saving us. Saving us from guilt and shame and fear and death. He does that. When you accept Jesus, he saves you from that and he saves you to himself. And we don't have to fear death because we live with him forever. But what about saving us from being self-absorbed? What about saving us from being bitter and angry and resentful? What about for those shepherds, the folks who were hard to handle? The folks who were hard to handle became missionaries because they found the wonder of the sun. Could it be that this Christmas, this Christmas season, the wonder of Jesus take root in your heart? Could this be the year where purpose is restored? Because shepherds came, shepherds became the first in a long line of very ordinary, unheralded messengers. Very long, a long line of very ordinary, unheralded messengers. You see, God is building his church moving through folks who you will never hear about. You and I will never hear about. Folks without significant Twitter followings, no official titles, and who, of whom the world is not worthy. Will we join him in that? And as the song goes, go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. <laughs> go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. And I imagine within that, within that little phrase, the folks with not a lot of Twitter followings, no official titles, that there are folks in these pews. <laughs> Many of us, all of us in those pews fit that category. Good people of Western Pennsylvania. That God works through those kinds of people. God's messengers work through those kinds of people that have a sense of wonder and awe. Those who are humble to come to Him. Will we join Him in that? If you have your communion elements, you can grab those. <clears throat> 